Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for uh, hanging out with us this morning, those of you here in person, as well as our eCampus Church, those of you watching our live stream. We are concluding our series titled New Normal, where we've been looking at how to get and stay healthy as we move through and hopefully pass this pandemic. Now, I know we're not completely out of the woods yet, but no question, the signs around us point towards the fact that we are slowly but surely climbing out of this pandemic. I know that uh, once Johnson County's mask mandate expired at the end of the day, this past Friday, I think there were only three counties in the state that had a mandate still in place, Riley, Douglas, and Wyandotte. And I just saw that the Kansas City Royals are increasing the number of fans they're allowing into games. So, yep, thank you for that, yeah. So, uh, and thank God. Thank God this year's seniors class, senior class gets to have a graduation. So we're excited about that as well. So yes, we do appear to be on the backside of this pandemic, but how many times over the past year have you heard or perhaps even said yourself something to the effect of wanting things to get back to normal? And I understand what people mean when they say that, but if we learn anything from previous pandemics, think about this, we learned that there really is no going back, only moving forward. And so one of the purposes of this series is to help us as we do just that, as we move forward into our new normal, not just forward, but that we move forward in a healthy way. And our theme verse for this series is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. This verse was actually given as part of instructions for how to live during the end times, which is fitting, I think, since I believe we're living in an end time reality right now and have been for a while. Right? The Apostle Paul concludes these instructions for end time living with a prayer. And, and this prayer has been our theme verse for this series. So let's read it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23. May God himself, the God of peace. Everyone say peace. Now watch this, because everything that follows will lead to this peace he just mentioned. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you or set you apart from what everyone else is doing. Through and through, may your whole, and, and here he gets specific about the areas where he wants to, us to be set apart. Spirit, how we take care of ourselves spiritually. Soul, how we take care of ourselves emotionally, which trigger how we think and act and body, how we take care of ourselves physically, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, Paul was instructing them, and the Holy Spirit is instructing us today, right now, to not let the situation we currently find ourselves in impact us in a way that would work against us being ready when Jesus does come back for us or takes us home. Now, I got to be honest with you, uh, of the three messages in this series, this is the one I've probably been dreading the most because I see myself in the mirror, and I think the same thing you're thinking right now. Where does this guy come across telling us how to care for our body? What moral authority does he have to tell us how to take care of ourselves physically? Like many of you, I've struggled to maintain any kind of uh, physical fitness routine over the past year. Now, part of my problem is, as I've gotten older, I find it more difficult to exercise with the same conviction I used to have. See, there was a time when it would be single digits outside. Shoot, I'd just throw on another hoodie, go out, go jogging. Now, it's 40 degrees out. Ooh, it's pretty chilly out there. Better stay at home, right? 
Actually, I don't, I don't jog anymore. See, when you're in your 20s and 30s, you go running. Right? When you're in your 40s and 50s, you jog, unless you're Annette and Stacy. Uh, and I don't know, they never got that memo, I guess, because they still, I see them, they, they run, they don't jog. When you get to be my age, you power walk. You power walk, like me. So each morning I get up, I power walk around the block, put the block back underneath the bed, and go back to sleep. <laughs> For many, COVID not only interrupted your exercise habits, it probably also altered your eating habits, your eating meals and routine. They say breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Anyone ever heard that? Breakfast is the, really? Gosh, I thought that was an old wife. Breakfast is the most important meal of the day, right? In fact, I read once where we're supposed to eat breakfast like a king, lunch like a prince, and dinner like a pauper. I tried that once, but every evening about 8.30, I heard this voice in my head saying, long live the king. <laughs> I'm on a roll here. I'm going to keep going here. So in trying to determine what would be a reasonable goal for my weight, all right, for my weight loss, I, I Googled ideal weight. Don't do this, by the way. You'll just get depressed. I Googled ideal weight, and of course, it sent me to one of those height-to-weight ratio charts, which made me even more depressed since I found out that according to my height, the, the high end, think the high end of my ideal weight was 183. I said, 183? Are you kidding me? I blew past 183 six months into our marriage 42 years ago, right? So I was really depressed when I read that, but then I got a revelation from God that comforted me. In the midst of my discouragement and depression over my weight, the Lord told me, don't worry, son, don't worry. You're not overweight. You're just 11 feet too short. <laughs> the thing is, anytime we experience a major shift or change in our environment or routine, it usually does affect us physically. Even those of us who did exercise regularly and eat more healthy before covid we're probably not able to maintain that routine over the past year. But it might encourage you to know that even some of the giants of the faith had this same struggle. Even the Apostle Paul, think about this, even the guy who wrote most of the New Testament struggled keeping his body in shape. Now here's how he described it, his, his physical struggle. In, in Romans chapter 7, verse 22, he said, My inner being delights in the law of God. In other words, spiritually, mentally, emotionally, those things that we've looked at over the past couple of weeks, in those area, areas, his desire is to please God. But, and here's where Paul gets real vulnerable with us. And I want you to make note of how brutally honest he is when describing his struggle to take, to take care of himself physically. In verse 23, the very next verse, but I see a different law at work in my body, a law that fights against the law which my mind approves of. Note that phrase, fights against. Paul's saying, look, this can be an all-out war at times. And you know that. You know that. This is, a, this is a daily battle. You know, I've gotten much better over the past few years, but, you know, there was a time that I had it bad for Casey's brownies. Bad, bad, bad. Seemed like any time I'd go into Casey's, I'd walk past that pastry case. Psst, psst. Curtis. Those brownies would be calling out to me. And I was just so weak. Forgive me. I was so weak. And I would eat some of those brownies. For you, maybe it's not food. Maybe it's something else. The thing is, we all have certain desires, cravings, things that our body wants that can at times work against God's plan for us. It might be food. It might be alcohol. It might be a certain drug. It might be a relationship. See, Paul wasn't specific about what his struggle was, but he was specific about the battle being real. In verse 24, the very next verse, what an unhappy, one translation says, wretched man I am. 
What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death? You know, I, I, I love the absolute brutal honesty of Paul here. He, he's basically admitting that he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he finds himself doing it anyway. Yeah, three of you share that same struggle, right? And he continues, and here we get a glimpse of the toll that, that this battle, this struggle is taking on him. He says, it makes me a prisoner. Look at that word. It makes me a prisoner to the law of sin, which is at work in my body. He feels trapped. He feels trapped. Like he can't get out. Anyone ever felt trapped by something that you knew was wrong, but you found yourself kind of gravitating towards that? Like, you know, I know it's probably not healthy for me to eat a, a bowl of peanut butter Captain Crunch and, and slice bananas right before I go to bed. So why do I do that? And then the next morning, what happens? You wake up and you're mad at yourself right, for doing something so stupid, which is basically what Paul says next in verse 24. What an unhappy man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is taking me to death? See, he understands what's at stake here. He recognizes that if he loses too many of these battles, the result is going to be death, spiritually for sure, but in worst case scenarios, oftentimes physically as well, if we get too lax in taking care of our bodies. The good news is God understands this tension that you're having. He really does. God understands. Paul understands. I understand, even though I may not have the moral authority to address your exercise and eating habits, what I do have is the moral authority to tell you what God's word says about your need, my need, our need to take care of ourselves spiritually or physically, right? And so to guide us through this morning's message, we're going to look at three areas of our physical being that the Bible calls us out on. The first one's addiction. You know, I thought about using a different word here because most of us, when we hear that word, we think that it doesn't apply to us. Right? We think of someone who's, who's strung out on drugs or, or drying out in a rehab facility. But if you unpack that word addiction, you'll find it actually refers to any time someone continually does something they don't want to do. And by that definition, I think there's a little bit of addict in all of us. Here's how Paul addressed this dark side that all of us have. In Romans 6, 12, he says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Next verse. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself. Look at that. Every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. In other words, Jesus died for all of us. Soul, spirit, and body, body as well. And if we'll surrender all of us to him, all of our being to him, the payoff is in verse 14 of Romans 6, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law but under grace. If we'll surrender our lives completely to Jesus, those things, that addiction won't have any control over us anymore. So addiction is one area that we struggle with physically. Another area the Bible calls us out on is a real Bible-sounding word. It's the word debauchery, debauchery. Say that with me, would you? On the count of three, let's all say debauchery. One, two, three, debauchery. Yeah, it even sounds bad coming out of the mouth, doesn't it? Don't know what it is, but it sure sounds bad. Right? What is debauchery? The technical definition of debauchery is extreme indulgence in sensuality. So that's interesting because, see, in and of itself, it's not necessarily a bad thing or it might not be wrong. What makes it wrong is an overindulgence in it. In what? In anything. Food, drink, spending, watching TV, you name it. 
There's nothing inherently wrong with a Casey's brownie. What makes it wrong is if I buy two or three of them every time I walk in there. There's nothing inherently wrong with watching TV. But if seven, eight, nine hours later, you're still sitting there watching TV, you might need to step back and take a look at your life, right? That's probably not a good use of your time. Anything in excess can lead to debauchery. And anytime we allow our body to call the shots, anytime we make decisions based on what our body wants, we're going to end up in a place that we don't want to be. Here's how the Apostle Paul addressed this in Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, here's our word, debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And even though Paul mentions wine here, the basic idea is one of moderation. He's saying, look, don't get to that place where you just do whatever you want with no regard for the consequences. So when it comes to our physical being, the Bible calls us out on addiction. It calls us out on debauchery. And then the third area the Bible calls us out on is sexual immorality. Now, some Bible translations use the word fornication. The technical definition would be any sexual encounter outside of marriage. In fact, the word that the New Testament uses to describe this is actually only one word. It's one Greek word. It's the word, and tell me if this looks familiar, pornea. Pornea. The word the New Testament uses to describe sexual immorality or fornication is the word from which we get our English word, pornography. Since last March, think about this, since last March, a year ago March, when COVID shut us down, pornography use has increased 30% just in the U.S. Pornhub, the world's largest pornography website, reported an 18% increase in users after making its premium content free for 30 days to get people hooked. To give some perspective, check out these staggering porn statistics, and these are about three years old, so these figures are probably actually higher now. Every second, th this is staggering, every second, 28,258 users are watching pornography. Three million, over three million is spent on porn every second, second on the internet. 40, a million, 40 million Americans regularly visit porn sites. When COVID struck and people started working from home and had more time on their hands, porn searches spiked significantly. Studies indicated people were using sex as a coping mechanism for dealing with loneliness, anxiety, stress, fear, and even death. And then don't give me that. It's not hurting anyone but me. It's just me, right? It's just me. No, no one's getting hurt. It's not like I'm having an actual affair or anything. No, no, you are having an affair, a fantasy affair. And it works against God's divine design for sex, which is that the husband and wife become one. Both Jesus and Paul use that phrase, become one flesh, to describe the act of marriage between a husband and wife, which means, now watch this, which means both partners, both partners are active participants. With porn, now think about this, with porn, the person, the person watching has total control, something God never intended to be part of the act of marriage or sexual fulfillment. The problem is the longer one has total control in this area, the more they lose control. It's called the law of diminishing returns. The same law of diminishing returns that happens when drug addicts and alcoholics, that also happens with pornography. The longer someone watches porn, the more explicit and raunchier it needs to be to capture the same thrill as when they first started looking at porn. And speaking of looking at porn, think about this statement that Jesus made in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, he said, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. 
But, now watch this next statement. If your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. In other words, what we see becomes part of us. You see that? That's important, people. You need to see that. What we see becomes part of us. And I love how the message paraphrase puts these two verses. It says, our eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a musty cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life you will have. Listen, Jesus' warning couldn't be any clearer. What we look at becomes a part of us. So, so let's live with our eyes focused on Jesus, okay? Let's live with our eyes focused on Jesus. In one of his letters to the church at Corinth, the Apostle Paul used an interesting analogy to describe what sexual immorality is like for Christians, for Jesus followers. 1 Corinthians 6.15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite? That, that's like fused together at the deepest level. And unite them with a prostitute. Never. Next verse, verse 16. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is, here's that phrase again, one with her. Which is what God had in mind when he created sex in the first place. This is really for another sermon, but part of becoming one with your spouse includes becoming one emotionally at the soul level as well as physically. In body, for sure. For it is said, and here's that phrase, the two will become one flesh. So if all this is true, if what Paul says here is true, then what do we do about it? What do we do about addiction? What do we do about debauchery and about sexual immorality? We remind ourselves that God lives inside of us by his Holy Spirit. It's like people are willing to give their, their heart to God, but it seems like they want him to stay out of their bedroom and out of their thought life. Look, even though God gave us this gift of sex and created us with a sex drive and the capacity for sexual fulfillment, he also gave us specific guidelines for how to capture the most fulfillment from that gift. Paul makes it clear that we're not obligated to act on these God-given desires. We're, we're not slaves to these desires. We have a choice to make. That's why Paul issues this clear warning in the next verse, in 1 Corinthians 6, 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Not be careful now, not watch out. No, no, no. We, we can't argue or reason our way out of sexual temptation. Paul's very clear about that. Can't tell you how many young people that I've talked with that are in a relationship they shouldn't be in. And I tell them, no, you need to flee. <laughs> you need to get out of that thing. Well, I'm, 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 I'm praying for him. I'm, I'm witnessing to him. No, 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 no. I'm, you don't understand. You don't understand the beast you're dealing with here. The Bible says the only way to deal with this effectively is to flee from it. Get out of there. Get out of there as quickly as possible. Paul continues in verse 19, 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And then he continues in verse 20. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Okay, how do you do that? How do, we, how do we honor God with our bodies? We do that by embracing three truths. So I'm going to give you these three truths and then a point of application for each one. So here we go. We honor God by recognizing that my body is the place where God dwells. Begin each day by acknowledging this truth. You know, we often talk about church being 
the house of God. Right? You ever, you ever, if you grew up in a church, sometimes a preacher would say that, you know, we're welcome to the house of God. Of course, they said God, because that means they've got the unction when they put the little uh at the end of the word, right? But seriously, you've heard that phrase that, that you know, this is the house of God. Well, that's really not true. Um, the Bible also says that we are, we together, we are the church. As God's people, we make up the church, right? So together we make up the church. You are the sanctuary. We are the sanctuary together. That's why it's puzzling to me. Think about this, how people can be so careful, so cautious about the respect and honor they show towards the building, right? Some, some people take their hats off. So, so, some people, you know, the kids start, oh, no, don't, don't run, don't run, don't run in God's house, right? You ever notice that? How we have this reverence and respect for God's building, not realizing that, hey, we are his dwelling place. We are his building. He lives inside. If we show the same reverence and respect and honor for our bodies that we do for this sanctuary, I think it might change our life for the better, right? How much better off would it be physically if we showed the same respect, reverence, and consideration for our body that we do for the sanctuary, the literal sanctuary? So the application, what's the application here? Detox. Detox. Some, some of your detox might be with food. Uh, some of your detox it might be uh, with uh, social media. And, with, and again, I'm not just talking about when, with food. Don't, not just fasting. Don't just, you know, fast. It, it, it might include fasting. But even going forward from there, changing your eating habits, being more intentional about eating in a healthy way, right? Maybe even an exercise program. For some of you, your detox might be from social media. Others might need to detox from TV. So in order to become healthier physically, we first need to recognize that God lives inside of us. And going forward, we should be more intentional about taking care of our body, which is God's house. Even if that means going through a detox of some type. Our body is the place where God dwells. The next thing that we need to do in order to take proper care of our body is recognize that my body belongs to God. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought at a price. You realize, don't you, that when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, part of that deal was that you belong to him now. You belong to him now. And if we belong to him, then we have to ask him permission before we do anything, right? Let's say that again. Uh, if we belong to him, we should ask his permission before we do anything, right? Yes, yes. Romans 12, 1, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Huge word here because it sets the tone for God's attitude towards us as we present ourselves to him. Because he, he doesn't care what we did this past week. He doesn't just extend forgiveness to us. He extends mercy as well. And because he's so merciful, here's what we should do. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. In other words, surrender our life to him. The Christian life is basically a life of surrender. I like what Rick Warren says in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He says, surrender is not the best way to live. It's the only way to live. All other approaches lead to frustration, disappointment, and watch this, self-destruction. So how do we do this? How do we offer our bodies or, and, and surrender to Jesus? Again, Paul tells us at the end of this sentence, after offering ourselves or surrendering ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper, and then here it is, here's how we offer ourselves to God, through worship. Worship. That's the application. The application is worship. The best way that we can show God that we truly belong to him is when we worship him. But please understand, 
Because this is where so many people miss it. We worship God the way that he asks us to worship him, not the way we want to worship him. See, we don't get to decide how to love on God. He tells us how he wants to be worshiped, how he wants to be loved. Because some people are like, well, I'll worship God, but I don't do that weird radical stuff. I, I, you know, I don't lift my hands or clap or any of that weird stuff. That's just, that's just not my personality. That's, that's, not, that's not who I am. I worship God in my mind. You know, that's really not your call. Just being very honest, that's not your call. You don't choose how you worship God. He tells us how to worship him. In fact, he wrote 151 chapters, the biggest book in the Bible, describing how we should worship him. And how might that be? How does God want us to, to love on him? By singing, yes, but by clapping, sometimes by shouting, sometimes by lifting our hands, even dancing possibly, right? And look, if that sounds weird to you, I get it. You know, the church that I went to as a child, Antioch First Southern Baptist Church over in Lawrence, we didn't do any of that stuff either. We didn't do psalm worship. We did Southern Baptist worship. You know, so I, I didn't know any different. But here, here's what I know. If you'll begin to worship God the way his worship manual says to worship him, it is so liberating. It really is. It, it, it will set you free. You'll, you'll enter into a realm of, of worship that will not only draw you closer to God, but also refresh you spiritually. You say, well, pastor, what difference does it make if I lift my hands or clap my hands or sing out loud? Well, honestly, this is probably for another sermon, but what it comes down to is pride. It's pride. Part of offering our bodies to the Lord is humbling ourselves before him. And for all of you, you know, I must not be an emotional person or something like that. I worship in my mind. Let me say this as tactfully and as graciously and as lovingly as I can. Your conservative worship is only protecting your pride and ego. I'm sorry, it really is. This isn't about getting wild or crazy, out of order. This is simply about surrendering totally and completely to him and worshiping God the way that he told us he wanted to be worshiped. So how do we, how do we get and stay physically healthy as we move forward in our new normal? By recognizing my body is the place where God dwells. The application is detox. By recognizing my body belongs to God, the application is worship, right? And then third, my body, recognizing my body was made to honor God. Now, thus far, everything that we've talked about has to do with what we need to stop doing. But the key, the key to a life-giving relationship with God isn't so much about what we should stop doing as it is what we should start doing. You know, for years, it seems as if the church has been known for what it um, stood against what was it what it was against rather than what it was for you know some say well what what, what does your what does your church uh, believe right well you know we don't drink we don't smoke we don't chew and we don't run with those who do right? oh great I'm gonna, that sounds like fun I'm gonna come there right? at family church I'm not going to tell you that you need to read your Bible I'm going to tell you you get to read your Bible I'm not going to tell you that you need to pray. I'm telling you that you get to hang out with God and tell him what's on your mind. At Family Church, I'm not going to tell you that you have to give God 10% of your income. I'm going to tell you that you get to invest in the greatest return on investment venture of all time, the kingdom of God. The truth is, if we would just focus on what Jesus said to do, we wouldn't have time to worry about what he said not to do. If we'll focus on the positive, the negative will take care of itself. Years ago, back before they had counterfeit ink pens and used color shifting ink on our currency. 
You know how they train people to detect counterfeit bills? Not by giving them counterfeit money, but by giving them the real thing. They would give them real money. And they discovered that the more the tellers would familiarize themselves with the real thing, the easier it was for them to spot the counterfeit anytime it tried to come through there. Listen to me, dear ones. The secret to getting your body under control isn't by telling it what not to do. It's by recognizing your, your body has purpose. The more we expose ourselves to the truth of God's word, the easier it'll be to detect the false and counterfeit things that this body, our body, is attracted to. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 6.13. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. So if our body was created to honor God in the first place, why would you want to pollute it and abuse it through all these worldly counterfeit pursuits that Satan tells us will bring us happiness? He says, instead, give yourselves completely to God. And the application here is purpose, purpose. Don't let the lies of the enemy distract you from your God-given purpose. Don't settle for Satan's counterfeit when God has the real thing for you. Don't let your body call the shots. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you take control of your body. Begin to put something real, something greater in your life than all that counterfeit stuff that our body is attracted to. Let me pray for you. Lord, I do pray for grace and strength for all of us as we seek to be more conscientious and intentional about taking care of our body. If we didn't know it before, we know now that you live inside of us, that our body is actually your, your sanctuary, your home. So any areas of our life, any, any rooms in our house that we have allowed to become dirty or unkempt because of choices and decisions that we made based on what our body wanted, any areas where we might need to detox, help us be committed to doing that, to cleaning those out, and welcoming your Holy Spirit afresh in those areas. Now, for those of you who might be struggling with pornography, and statistically, that would be about half of us sitting in here this morning. I know that's staggering, but it's true. If that's you, in addition to asking God to forgive you, there's something else that you need to do if you want to be set free and healed, and that's confess this to a trusted friend, someone you trust, and as hard as that might be to do, it's crucial. It's crucial to you being healed and set free from that addiction, any addiction for that matter. James tells us that forgiveness comes when we confess to God, but healing comes when we confess to someone else. So if that's you, I want to pray two things for you right now. First, I, that God would show you who that trusted friend is so that you can go to them and start down that pathway to healing and deliverance and freedom. But second that God would give you the grace and strength to trust him and do this. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do that now. Those who might be struggling with any addiction, after they've confessed it to you for forgiveness, give them grace and strength to find an accountability partner, someone they trust that they can confide in to confess to and be healed. And help us, Lord, to remember that not only does our body belong to you, but you have a specific purpose for our body as well. So as we offer our bodies to you, as we surrender to you in praise and worship, begin to show us what area of service, which dream team that we can be best used in to serve you and help build your kingdom, not our kingdom. We want your will over our will. So help us to begin living our lives in a way that would reflect that. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.